Welcome to Once Upon a Disney, an analytical yet fun-loving look at Disney narrative filmography from the 20th century. I'm Andy Redwine, and with me as always, my co-host who never has strings holding him down, Larry Brenner. How are you, Larry? I'm doing great. Um, One day I hope to be a real boy. (laughs) Ah, Never gets old. Okay, what movie are we doing today? Okay, so when I say this, I say this with genuine excitement. Today we're talking about Geppetto from the year 2000, which is one of our more obscure pulls. Uh, Andy, I had never seen this before. It had, I had not never be- either. Had not even been on my radar. And I think mm-hmm. I announced last week that, like, while I wanted to go into it liking it, right. uh, you know, there was a there was a part of me, the cynical part of me, the dark part of me that was just like. <laughs> But but it's probably been buried by by Disney for a reason. I don't know what that reason is, Andy. I loved this. Ah, uh, this movie was a delightful little gem for me. It's a jewel of a movie. I was pleasantly surprised by how good it is. Um, I actually would watch it again. I would watch this again over Pinocchio. I almost said that, but yes, I I agree with you. Now I have not seen the current. Uh, uh, yeah, I'm talking the was, original. 1940s yeah, nineteen forty version. I think it's a better story. Yeah, I think it's. Um, I mean, it's a it's a sequel in the sense that we get to see Pinocchio's. Uh, we get to see it from a different perspective, I guess. It's really, it's really more of a parallel film, I think, more than it is a sequel. We're watching, we're watching in theory the same events, but from Geppetto's point of view. There are some changes. They are not really in the same, Correct. same universe. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, this is a Pinocchio multiverse that we're now exploring. Um, but, but before we get into how it's the same and how it's different, do you have any key facts for us about this, Geppetto? I actually do. And and let me tell you, like this, usually it's pretty easy to do some research. In fact, I really had to dig on this one because, again, it's pretty obscure. Um, and, and I might mention at this moment that it is, this film is not on Disney+. Plus, no. But you can see it on YouTube. Uh, you can still purchase the DVD from Disney if you're interested in that. Um, you might be able to find a copy at your local library. Um, it's, but it's kind of tough to find. There are theatrical productions of this done, however, in places around the country. Even still, if yeah. you have children and this musical comes to comes to town, I would absolutely take your kids to this. Delightful. Ah, wonderful. Okay, so as key facts here, the LA Times Susan King, who is somebody that I really rely on for this podcast, um, crafted a great story on the making of Geppetto which aired as part of ABC's The Wonderful World of Disney in the 1990s. And I think it's important to maybe take a minute and talk about how important that television show is to Disney filmography. The The TV show begins, uh, begins as Walt Disney's Disneyland in 1954. It morphs into Walt Disney Presents in 1958, Wonderful World of Color, which you can see on Disney+. Plus. In 1961, as more and more households are getting color televisions, right? And uh, it becomes the wonderful world of Disney throughout the 1970s, 80s, 90s, and even into present day, although programming is no longer a weekly event. 
Many of us coming up in the 1960s and 70s remember the wonderful world of Disney as our first experience with Disney films. Um, The TV show itself was a way for Disney to double dip and later triple and quadruple dip uh, into various revenue streams. So a feature film from Disney could, say, have a theatrical release, then move on to television for a captive Sunday evening family audience. And then later, movies air on cable with the host of Disney Channel and become VHS or DVDs to rent or buy or whatever, right? Um, But again, it's Sunday night. It's If you ask anyone who I would say is 40 or older what your family did on Sunday nights, um, you watch The Wonderful World of Disney. Everybody did this. Uh, This was a family show and... Uh, again, it becomes really important to uh, to understanding how Disney is really pro- getting that captive audience in the beginning. Now, in the 1990s, ABC wasn't owned by the Disney company as it is today, but the two entities maintained a very strong affiliation. Uh, the Drew Carey Show was an extremely popular sitcom, as was the show Whose Line Is It Anyway?, which is an improvisational comedy show, which Carrie hosted. He hosted that first. Um, So Disney makes the decision. And remember, in the 1990s, they're going through a bit of a renaissance here. Uh, They make the decision to do a few made-for-television musicals as part of that renaissance. A number of made-for-TV movies launch in this period, including a couple of musicals. And then all of them are sold uh, direct to VHS. There's always like a commercial within there. If you'd like the VHS, you can call now and get this, right? Or they were available at your local video rental store. And there are actors like Christopher Lloyd, Tony Danza, Richard Dreyfuss, Elijah Wood, Kirsten Dunst, and even Steven Gutenberg. And they star in these features, right? It definitely talent that folks would rec- recognize and not your typical made-for-TV experience. And as we'll see in Geppetto, the casting there is equally solid. So there's a lot of investment that's taking place in order to create these films. The two other TV musicals that precede Geppetto are Cinderella by Rodgers and Hammerstein. Disney does a version of that. And then also Annie. The movie Geppetto has a number of Broadway connections. The movie is directed by Tom Moore, who also directed Grease on Broadway. The original score is from Stephen Schwartz, who did Godspell, Pippin, and The Prince of Egypt. And Broadway choreographer Jerry Mitchell had just three weeks to create and rehearse the dance sequences, which is pretty amazing. That wasn't a lot of time. Yeah. And I want to say, key unsubstantiated rumor Uh, Andy and I found everywhere people talked about how this musical was originally created as sort of a Mary Poppins reunion uh, between Julie Andrews and Dick Van Dyke. Um, While we were unable to find any sourcing for it, I've decided to embrace this rumor and believe it. I can totally see a version of this with Dick Van Dyke as Geppetto and he's delightful and... um, and Julie Andrews as the Blue Fairy. I can see it in my head. Yeah, uh, I, I, I think this version is funnier. I think probably. this version, you know, I think that would have probably been a little more high drama. But this version is, uh, because of the cast, I think is is lovely and funny. And 
I'm glad it is the way it is. Oh, so. for sure. I'm just saying. Although I, I would have loved the other two. So, but I would love maybe. to compare them, but alas. Yes. Uh, so let's begin with the Manish Tana. Uh, and this, when we're talking about the Manish Tana, we're talking about why a movie chooses to start where it starts. And like so many of these movies, this is the classic Disney storybook opening, except uh, Drew Carey narrates. And we don't necessarily know he's Geppetto yet, uh, right. but he, he starts off and it's almost like a fake out. He's like, hey. Have you ever heard the story of Pinocchio, the, the wooden boy who w had to work to come to life? Mm -hmm. And then he says, well, this is not his story. This is my story. I'm Geppetto. Um, and uh, unfortunately, this is he says the word unfortunately. Unfortunately, this is not about Pinocchio. This is about me. Haven't you ever wondered about my story? And I will tell you, Andy, as since he asked me, my response was nope. Never, not once, <laughs> have I ever wondered about Geppetto's story. Ah, oh, come uh, on, Larry. <laughs> I, I have not. It, I wouldn't have brought it up to him, but he asked me, and I'm not going to lie to Geppetto. My nose will grow. Fair point. Fair point. Fair point. Um, so, Andy, why do we begin the story here? Why do we do the storybook opening here? Why this little fake out? Well, I think it's fun because it it's like this is Pinocchio, but it's not Pinocchio. And it's a fun little, like you said, a fake out, right? And, it, and we know we're going to laugh. Uh, it's Drew Carey. He's, I mean, and again, he's wickedly uh, popular during this time period. People love him. Uh, he really is. Um, it, he's a big part of the ABC lineup. I mean, people really like Drew Carey at this point. So, but we we start with learning about Geppetto's desire to be a father. I mean, he makes toys for children. Children are enraptured and enchanted by his toys. But he has no children of his own. His heart is empty. Yeah. So I think you're right. What we're doing here is tone setting. And, mm -hmm. and, and I think it's directly because in the next scene, we're going to see that Geppetto has what we would consider to be a real problem. Right. Mm -hmm. uh, and and arguably a real sadness. So by setting us up with this opening, which is like, hey, you know what's about to happen. So like when you see me be sad in a few minutes, you know what the twist is going to be. I'm going to mm -hmm. get the thing that I'm sad about. So don't be too sad, right. um, which which I think is fair. Children are watching this um, and you're leading us directly into what I would say is the exposition. We see the world in which Geppetto lives. Uh, we get this opening bit where Geppetto has opened his toy store. And all of the children from wherever they are at that moment go running towards the toy store to get toys from Geppetto. It very much has Willy Wonka level vibes here. Yes, uh, the Candyman and Willy Wonka, right? That, but that is that is the level of excitement, I think, that yeah. they have about Geppetto's toys, Geppetto having a new toy. Like one kid is in the middle of a haircut. He doesn't care. He, he'll go out. <laughs> he wants to see Geppetto's toys. Right. And this is all exposition. We see that Geppetto loves having the kids in the toy store. The parents, a little bit less so. Uh, and as <laughs> he's looking at this, we notice that he is critiquing the parenting styles of some of some of the parents in regards to supervising their children. 
And I will say, sometimes he has a point, and in other and in other situations, I feel like Geppetto, mind your own business. This is this is you don't know what this really is. Which, well, people without kids are always the best parents, right? Well, that's what he says. <laughs> I know, his right, opening, right? His opening song is "I would be the best dad." How come all these other people have kids, and mm-hmm. I don't? And yeah. um, it's a little whiny. It's a like a little, little bit, and it's it's. I had a very mixed. He wins me over. Mm-hmm. But I had a very mixed re- I was like, oh boy, here we go, Geppetto. Like, it's one thing to want a kid. It's one thing to look at other people and be like, you have a kid. I hate you because you have what I don't have. And he mm-hmm. is he is walking that line, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Or, or you think I'm being too harsh about it? No, I mean, I, I think he's wistful. I wouldn't say he's like overly jealous, but I, I, he's definitely wistful. Okay. You know, I mean, I mean, like, I, you know, my husband and I were fantastic uh, parents before we had children. <laughs> we had great well, answers. I mean, I mean, I actually see a couple of moments where maybe the movie and I disagree. There's a point where there's a child who is spoiled a mm-hmm. little bit. But I, I identify with that moment as the mother is trying to keep her daughter under control. Geppetto intervenes by giving that girl candy. And I'm like, that is not. I think the movie thinks, look what a great dad he would be. I, I, if mm. I was that mom, I would say, excuse me, we do not reward bad behavior with candy. Right, we right, do right, not. Right. I understand what you're doing here. I know your intentions are good, but but out. But that 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 right. just might be my my fatherly sensibilities. That's funny. But that is but that is all exposition. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know that Geppetto actually sells the toys he wants to sell. That's not really where this is. It really is like however successful he is as a toy maker, there is a hole in his life that only a child can fill. Right. Which gets us to our inciting incident, which, as in the movie Pinocchio, I think is fairly clear. The thing that we're waiting to see happen is... What do you think, Andy? Well, for for Pinocchio to become animated, right? So we get the blue fairy and she makes Pinocchio animated and tells him if he behaves himself and does all these good things, he can can be a real boy. Right. So Geppetto has prayed for this and his prayer has been granted. And and now the movie launches. But because we're from Geppetto's point of view, even though we're aware that Pinocchio has a quest... Geppetto's quest is not clear. Mm-hmm. And I think I think what's interesting, you know, if we're contrasting this with the movie, uh, in the animated movie, in the animated movie, when Pinocchio comes to life, they start dancing and they throw a little party. Mm-hmm. Here, Geppetto's like, oh, Pinocchio, I'm so glad I have you. Let's go to bed. Pinocchio has been alive for maybe three minutes. <laughs> oh, good point. Fair point. Like the the first thing you tell him is he's got to go to sleep, and Pinocchio's got a lot of questions. And immediately we're supposed to empathize with Geppetto because Geppetto just wants to go to sleep, but he's got this little kid going. Why do I have to go to sleep? Why can I have? Can I be in your bed? Can we switch beds? Like, Isn't that in, how the the original movie goes too? Like I mean, they dance to, not, a little bit, but then they 
I guess we don't see that part, right? It's not to this level, though. That Geppetto Uh, is just entirely joyful about the experience of being a father. mm, mm, And mm. here, we almost immediately see that, like, this is almost a monkey's paw wish for Geppetto. Right. right. You know, like, the genie has twisted the wish, and now now he has a kid who can be annoying, you know? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, that, That, I think, is the inciting incident. I think you're right. Moving us through rising action, and there is a lot of rising action. Yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna summarize. But, but, listener, it's worth a watch. So, Geppetto sends Pinocchio to school. Pinocchio gets in trouble at school. Uh, Pinocchio clearly doesn't understand what he's supposed to be done as, as do as a kid. Uh, Geppetto told him to act like all the other boys. Pinocchio interpreted that as mimicking the other boys, which the other Mm. boys saw as making fun of them. Right. But Geppetto is mad at Pinocchio and not at himself. Geppetto wants Pinocchio to be a toy maker. Pinocchio doesn't want to be a toy maker, possibly because he himself is a toy, and that opens up an existential can of worms. Can a toy create other toys what is mm. he even doing? But Geppetto's like, what do you mean you don't want to be a toy maker? You're my son. You have right. to be what I want to be. We immediately start realizing Geppetto is not a great dad. Not yet. Well, I, I think this rising action is so brilliant. Uh, you know, Pinocchio literally does everything Geppetto wants him to do. And in so many ways, Pinocchio reflects Geppetto's flaws. So in, a, in so many ways, Pinocchio is exactly like his father. And Geppetto's like, no, I want you to be more like me. But that's how you are, Geppetto. So uh, it requires this journey where Geppetto gets exactly what he thinks he wants in order to realize that what he really wants is the boy Pinocchio actually is, right? Right. Very often, the things that frustrate us about our children are the things that frustrate us about ourselves. The, no, the amen things. to that. <laughs> so, so I found that realistic. But then, Andy, something happened that made me gasp. I had to stop watching it. I had to text you. Because Geppetto goes to the Blue Fairy and says, I think you messed this up. This mm-hmm. kid is broken. Mm-hmm. Can, can you... Can you either fix him or take him back or undo it? It's like it's it's almost like he's like he's like, you know what? Let's just call this whole thing off. Um right. it that scene read to me very darkly. I was, well, I was I, not prepared for him to so quickly and completely give up on Pinocchio. I mean, I think it's probably the most honest thing I've ever seen when it comes to talking about adopting children. I think there's, and I'm an adoptive parent, so, um, you know. You know of where you speak. I know of which I speak. I think there's this moment where you get this kid and then the honeymoon's over and you're like, wait a minute. And then you have this realization, okay, this isn't just a puppy I can take back to the pound. You know, this is like, this is real, this is forever. And then there's sort of a, This this is going to sound terrible. And if you're my child listening to this, trust me, if you go through this, I'll be on your, as an adoptive parent, I'll be on your team. Um, But there is almost like a, a buyer's remorse. And the reason why it's like you, you start doing this thing and you have a vision 
for how things are going to look, but this is a human being and they have their own objectives and their own way of, of doing life, right? And so the job of the adoptive parent is to figure out, okay, what is my kid really about and how do I support that versus my own personal vision and uh, of what this is going to be like, particularly yep. an older child adoption. So I think that's, it's dark, but I also think it's real. Like I watched that and I went, oh, there it is, right? <laughs> Which sounds awful, I know. It's not, it's not awful, it's real. I just yeah. wasn't, I wasn't prepared for that level of reality in Pinocchio. And, well, and- I, I honestly think this movie is like really good at mining emotional depth. Uh, I, I, I too did not expect that. I expected Geppetto to just be either just frustrated with him or whatever, but it, it, it's bigger than that. This yeah. is a growth journey for Geppetto, for sure. So moving us through the rising action... Pinocchio has overheard Geppetto talking smack about him to the Blue Fairy uh-huh. and decided to run away with Stromboli, uh, the, the, the puppeteer who has previously uh, demonstrated interest in, in buying Pinocchio from Geppetto. Geppetto, at first, when Pinocchio runs away, is like, maybe this is for the best. Maybe this mm-hmm. is better for him. But but then he sings like a really sad refrain about like, oh, they're going to be Stromboli and son, not Geppetto and son. And it makes mm-hmm. it and, and he realizes he's lost something. He goes to the performance, sees Pinocchio happy and and arguably is prepared to fall upon his sword and just let Pinocchio stay with Stromboli. Pinocchio right. seems to be happier in this environment. But when Geppetto realizes that Stromboli you know, is locking Pinocchio up and not really, you know, is is more of a uh, slave owner than he uh-huh. is uh, a father figure. Uh, decides no, he's got to he's got to fight Stromboli. He's got to work to get Pinocchio back from Stromboli. In uh, and I'm I'm summarizing. In yeah. the process, Pinocchio escapes but does not return to Geppetto. He just escapes. Stromboli realizes, hey, Pinocchio is headed to Pleasure Island and no child comes back from Pleasure Island. Right. Geppetto learns of this from Stromboli and goes, I have to go rescue my son. But what was a plot twist for me is Stromboli also says, I've got to go get Pinocchio back from Pleasure Island. I was prepared for Stromboli to exit the narrative at this point because that's what he does in the original animated movie. And instead, he he's sort of functioning as like, oh, this is a character who's also on a journey. He he's he's going to try to get Pinocchio back also. And it it was curious and we can talk about this more when we talk about Stromboli. Uh-huh. I it was an, it was another curveball that this movie threw my way. I wasn't I wasn't expecting it to be a race to Pleasure Island. Well, in a way, um it, it adds that adds two features. It adds a ticking clock, but it also adds a bit of a foil. Yes. Because because uh now we have Stromboli as, you know, the foil for Geppetto. Um some they're both going to get him. 
one for more nefarious reasons. But um, I think this whole um, opportunity for Geppetto is, it's pretty intense, really. Yeah. For him, you know, and, and it's starting to mine the, well, why did you want a child in the first place? It's starting to ask that question. And what does it really mean to be a father? Is it just somebody that you can bra- have bragging rights about and post pictures of on on Facebook? Or is it somebody that you can really, really love deeply and grow with, you know? Right. Well, because Geppetto, I think, you know, his understanding is of parenthood is about loving children and being mm-hmm. a parent is about loving children, but it is also about be- the responsibility of being a parent, which I think Geppetto had no clue how heavily that responsibility was going to weigh. Right, I don't think right. anyone is prepared for how much that's going to no. weigh on you. No, <laughs> you're just not. And nobody can really teach that. Nobody can really help you understand that until you're just in it. It just happens. You know, it just happens. That's right. So Geppetto goes on a journey, and we've mostly followed Geppetto here. Along the way, Geppetto has a couple of encounters. He meets the wizard Lazarno, who is a terrible wizard. But in fact, uh, Geppetto, through interacting with Lazarno, learns that Lazarno is only a, a magician because his father was a magician and forced him to be a magician. And Geppetto says, hey, isn't it curious that this is the exact same problem that Mm -hmm. I'm having with Pinocchio? And here I can see how, you know, Lazarno's father got it wrong and how I'm getting it wrong. Right. So it's a growth opportunity. We learn later on that Lazarno is actually working for the Blue Fairy. And it was at that moment that I I started to think, oh, she set all of this up. And I'm Mm -hmm. not clear exactly how much of it she has planned, but the fix is in here. The Blue Fairy is trying to teach Geppetto a lesson, which is very different from the original movie. In the original movie, Pinocchio really is a reward, and Geppetto has nothing to learn. And it almost makes you say, well, why not just give him a flesh and blood kid? You know, because he's so perfect. In this one, it makes a little more sense. Geppetto isn't ready for the responsibility and mm-hmm. has to prove himself. I, I, I kind of like that. I do too. Then he meets the professor who, I, I mean, I could spend an hour just trying to figure out the professor's deal. And I mean mm-hmm. that in the best way. The professor is set up sort of as a foil to the Blue Fairy. Mm-hmm. P- people come to him and ask him for children. He makes children, I suspect, with science, not with mm-hmm. magic. And those children are Stepford children. Yeah, perfect I have that autom- in my notes. Yep, yep. Perfect automatons who are exactly what you want them to be. Yeah, I mean, and what an awesome, what an awesome thing for Geppetto to see. Like, oh, this is this isn't what I want at all. Sure, I I have a lot of questions about this, and and maybe we'll come back to it when we get to the professor because I want us to get the sure. plot. Yeah, but this in this sequence, Geppetto realizes getting a child that is exactly what you think you want is not the actual experience. Uh, He rejects it, and he continues on his journey. 
Mm-hmm. Geppetto and Stromboli both get to Pleasure Island, where the coachman, I mean, it played by Usher, uh, sings beautifully um, and uh, is turning boys into donkeys. Both Stromboli and Geppetto work to rescue Pinocchio. Stromboli is unsuccessful, but Geppetto is kind of successful. Where does this movie get to its climax, Andy? Oh, boy. Well, there are multiple climaxes in this movie in yes. a way. Um, it, it almost feels like you're just bumping up every time. It's so, this movie is so well-structured. Um, so there's an emotional climax that happens inside the whale. And almost all hope is lost but at the same time, that emotional climax, where Geppetto really does accept his son for who he, he really is. And then there's another moment where, you know, Geppetto is willing to give up everything, everything he owns in his contract with Stromboli. And I thought really Stromboli was going to take the offer, but he doesn't. It's a nice reversal there. And of course, really the final climax is where the Blue Fairy turns Pinocchio into a real boy and he's out of the clutches of Stromboli forever. I think that's right. I think the place where they're in the most danger is inside the whale. But that the real climax is this confrontation, this paternity suit between (laughs) Geppetto and Stromboli. I mean, you know, like, and by the way, Blue Fairy seems to be bound by human lawsuits. Um, She's like, my my hands are tied here. And I was like, I was like, that that's an interesting, uh, that's an interesting perspective. But I think you're right. I think that's the climax. And of course, in the climax, uh, it's almost like a King Solomon thing. The real father is the one who's willing to sacrifice himself for his child. Stromboli is not willing to do that. And Geppetto is totally willing to do that. And that is the moment where Geppetto fully becomes Pinocchio's father. And Pinocchio can be turned back into a real boy. Mm -hmm. I have to say, this version of the story makes sense to me. It makes sense to me in the sense that why Pinocchio is flawed. He's Mm. flawed not because just because Pinocchio has to learn a lesson, but that Geppetto won't learn anything from having a perfect kid, right? Right. That's the challenge. A kid who parents himself is it doesn't need a parent, and Geppetto needs to have a flawed child in order to actually experience what paternity is. I like this so much. I do too. I wonder when we covered um, the 1940 version of Pinocchio, we talked about how he gets this boy and the first thing Geppetto does is give him a school book and an apple and he just sends him out the door. He doesn't walk him to school. He just says, go to school. Yeah. Um, and, And we talked about how Geppetto was sort of lacking as a father. I think this movie, like, takes that and goes, but what if he was really lacking as a father? Like, let's really kind of make a meal out of that. And I think they've done that here for sure. I think so, Uh, too. Yeah. Let's go on to some of the characters. So we have Geppetto, which is, of course, Drew Carey. Um, We're kind of, I was surprised to see Drew Carey as Geppetto, but probably 20 minutes in, I'm totally buying it. Um, Geppetto has expectations for Pinocchio that the little boy just can't meet. Yeah. Um, and, and I think 
at the core of he 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 is at the core of those expectations. So allowing instead of allowing his son to be a son, he just wants a carbon copy of himself. And that's not how it works. No, right. It, it totally is. Geppetto early on in the movie is looking at all of the other stores in his village and they all say Mancuso and son and this guy and son and all of that stuff. And his just says Geppetto. Mm-hmm. He wants the and son. But 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 symbolically that represents he wants a child to be an extension of himself. Mm-hmm. Right. He's building his brand um, in a way. And that's not the real experience of being no. a father. No, I, I like that. I I like that. I So here is the thing that I will say. I love this movie now, but the first 20 minutes I was like, I don't, I don't know if I'm going to be able to get through this because Geppetto was so flawed to me and I mm-hmm. didn't like him and I didn't necessarily trust that the movie knew what they were doing by making him this flawed. But I was wrong. I'm yeah, they, they, yeah. I, I still think I would have done a little bit more saving the cat in the first 15 to 20 minutes. Yeah. And I think there are ways that that could have happened to soften him up a little bit while still retaining the flaw. I think the movie, I think this movie starts off a little cynically with mm-hmm. Ge- Geppetto the cynic. I don't know why Blue Fairy, the Blue Fairy grants the wish of Geppetto the cynic. I totally know why why she grants the the gift of Geppetto the eternal child from from the first movie right i i think um there may be one too many songs in the beginning of this movie yeah um i think that's where i'm like okay we don't can we just get on we know i know how he feels i think we could cut one of these i think you're right um, it's been too long in this negative space yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I think, and, uh, I think it, that's exactly right. And it's literally my only critique of this film. <laughs> I like it so much. Um, so there's so many great songs in Once Upon a Time, Toys, Empty Heart. And I was a little worried about Drew singing some of these because I don't think of him as a singer. But I think he brings like a real innocence and sweetness to He's enjoying this. what he's doing. He's and, loving, he is having a wonderful time. Yeah. Well, that's the thing I've noticed about him as a performer in general, mm-hmm. is sometimes his enthusiasm for what he's doing allows you to overlook flaws because yeah. the love the love for his, for what he's doing is so clearly present in the performance mm-hmm. that it's that it's fine. I'm not And we're all in on the joke, right? I mean, in that sure. way he you know, you think about Jimmy Kimmel or you think about Jimmy Fallon. I mean, they're kind of all, or, or Wayne Brady. They're all kind of cut from that same cloth, right? Where I'm going to be funny and you're going to be in on the joke and we're all going to have a good time. And that's how I feel about this performance. Agreed. Agreed. Mm-hmm. Um, speaking of somebody who's letting us in on the joke, the Blue Fairy, um, Julia Louis-Dreyfus, who I, I love so much. I loved her in this. Oh, it's, <laughs> she's so, I mean, it's, you know, imagine, you can't help thinking, well, what if Elaine from Seinfeld was the Blue Fairy, right? But she's not Elaine. I kept waiting. No. I kept waiting for her mask to fall and for a little bit of Elaine to to uh, 
to peer out. She is committed to the role of the blue fairy. Right. Unflappable. Uh, uh-huh. Like, like she is resisting the temptation to to play it that way. And I'm sure there was a conversation about about that. I think she makes the better choice. The better yeah. choice is to play it straight and show her range. I think she's yeah. great in this. I, I I think the relationship between Geppetto and the Blue Fairy is hilarious. Yes. Like, I think it's so funny. Like, here he is. He's walking down the road, just completely distraught. Here she comes and he's like, what are you doing here? You know, it's like this wonderful back and forth between the two of them. And they, they, they play each other well. I think her character... Um, as being sort of the supernatural uh, entity that orchestrates all of this growth is really kind of a callback to the the original film, but it's also, it's also really beautiful. Yeah. There are some, there are some interesting things that I thought that they might do with her, but Mm -hmm. ultimately I'm glad they didn't. Uh, They didn't make her Geppetto's love interest. And there was a point they do, they sing a duet together. And there was a point in which I was like, is the movie hoping that that uh, they will end up together? But but no, that that isn't the way it goes. She is right. playing with him. She mm-hmm. reminds me so much of like the fairies of A Midsummer's Night Night's Dream. When he comes yes. to her to complain about Pinocchio and she's like, she, he's like, I want to talk to you about Pinocchio. And she's like, no need to thank me. She knows <laughs> he's not there to thank her, but she's going to yeah. make him say it. She's going right. to make him articulate. She's not going to let this be easy. She's not going to let it go off the hook. He's going to have to, if he wants this kid, he's going to have to work for it. Uh, mm-hmm. You can just see, and it's all in the performance. Her gears are always turning. She plays him throughout mm-hmm. this. It's fantastic. She's a great therapist. She's a great social worker. She is orchestrating this adoption and making it work. And, it's, and a generous um, scene partner. Generous mm, scene partner. Very. She's, I mean, they... They really give each other a lot, uh, t- uh, a lot to work with. So it's good. Yeah. Uh, Pinocchio, Seth Atkins. Um, I think he's the antagonist of this movie. He is absolutely the antagonist of this movie. He is the major obstacle. I mean, mm-hmm. he's not the only antagonist. I think ultimately by the end of the movie, we're supposed to see Stromboli as the antagonist. Right. But in a movie in which Geppetto is the protagonist... And he wants to have a son, or a good relationship with his son. His antagonist is his son. Mm-hmm. And he's not the villain of yeah. the movie, but he is the antagonist. So I liked the performance of Pinocchio. Mm-hmm. I'm going to tell you, I did not like the visual of Pinocchio. Oh, where he looks a little wooden. Whenever we got a clip, and it's not about how, how the kid looks in real life. Uh, uh-huh. there, there, are, there are some makeup choices and... Uh, like whenever we get close to his face, there's like this weird. Um, I I don't have the like sort of like brindled striped right. uh, wood grains on his face. Yeah, where I yeah. was just like, I do not like that. Well, I think it's kind of a rudimentary um, CGI that probably yeah. has not aged well. I mean, we're yes. used to CGI that's very different. I mean, that is the one thing about technology and watching some of these older films, if you're doing computer animation, you better get it right. <laughs> I mean, or just know that in 20 years, it's going to look very different. Yes. You know, I, I, and 30 I think, years. 
I, and I think part of that is because they're going to have to do the nose growing that they, they had mm-hmm. to make some choices that would allow that to be accommodated. Right. Um, but I found him off putting to look at. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, that's fine. Uh, I, I thought the reprise of I've Got No Strings was really, really good. Oh, good performance. Because in that in that moment, I was like, oh, I love, you know, I love that song anyway. And it just, you know, it, it marries it to the, um, the, the old movie. Yeah. So, and it reminds that. us this is Disney. Yes, I agree. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, my favorite character, Stromboli, Brent Spiner. Why is Stromboli your favorite? Oh, Andy my gosh. It, not me, guys. Andy said uh, Ridiculously great performance. He reminds me of Captain Hook here, kind of scheming, um, the blaming his lot on the marionettes. And he's, you know, he's talking to them. And, um, you know, Spiner's known as Data on Star Trek Next Generation. And so at first I was like, is that Brent Spiner? It is. It oh, my gosh. So he's Bravo Stromboli, the song, and just the way he uses his space and moves throughout the space. It's performed well. It lets us get into Stromboli's motives. And it almost helps us feel for him a little bit. Yes. Um, I I think he's a sympathetic villain, which I always like. And um, gosh, just so many layers and just so fantastic. I didn't find him sympathetic. But I will say I enjoyed him. He brought like a wild manic energy to his performance of Stromboli. Uh And it was a pleasure to watch him perform. That being said, he is clearly a monster. His concerns are entirely selfish and monstrous. Mm -hmm. Um, But he's a great foil for Geppetto. Because, I I mean, if you look at Geppetto just saying, oh, I want a kid, right? That's a... That can be, that's pretty selfish. And it's the dark parent, side of, you gotta be pretty, you gotta be pretty selfless. Yeah. It's the dark side of Geppetto. Part of Geppetto's motivations was to build his brand. Stromboli's mm-hmm. taking, taking it one step further. Yeah. Pinocchio is his property, his star ticket. It's the thing that's gonna make him rich and famous, but yeah. not, a, not someone he cares about as a person. It right, is right. all, he only cares about Pinocchio to the extent that it will benefit him. He's, I think he's a commodity, right? Great foiling. Yeah. I mean, this this movie is so good when it comes to the foiling. Um, uh, Professor Buon Regazzo, is that when I saying that? Sure. Uh, Rene Aubergenois, who is so great. Um, I remember he's so him. so great on, in so many things. Yeah, I, he's a great character actor. And I remember him on um, the show Benson. Yes, it's Clayton. Yeah, Clayton on Benson, who was so funny and and just, you know, the guy you love to hate. Uh, What an incredible character. Uh, He's also there to give Geppetto, like you said, exactly what he wants. Like you said, the children are Stepford children. They're manufactured. They're plastic. And in Idyllia, uh, the violinist, you know, plays When You Wish Upon a Star, which is another callback to that animated classic. I love watching those kids, that slide, that machine, spit those kids out that are absolutely perfect and watching uh, Drew Carey get completely overwhelmed (laughs) by the, oh, you want this guy? Oh, you want twins? Uh, It's fabulous, fabulous, fabulous. Oh, I thought so too. Andy, did you think that Professor Juan Regazzo was an actual character in this movie? Or do you think he, like, 
we're going to see with Lazarno that he was made up to be what what Geppetto needed to experience in this movie. I could not tell. Um, I mean, yeah, I think the whole Adelia is a Lazarno. I think it's a, a manufactured thing that the Blue Fairy has come up with saying, oh, you want a kid that's exactly what you want? Here, this is what happens when you get kids that are exactly what you want. Yeah. They have no soul. They are, they do, ex- you know, they, they have no, they're, they're not really people. Right. Um, and so, but he also is sort of, he, he's really the blue fairy soul, but mm-hmm. he's, so he and the, co- and the coachman who will talk about the Pleasure Island ringmaster, he's not really the coachman mm-hmm. in this, uh, right. are both foils of the blue fairy. Mm-hmm. But he's a rare kind of foil. He's a super foil. As um, and I don't know if I've ever talked about. I th- I'm pretty sure I've talked about super foiling before. I don't think you have. This is new to me. <sighs> okay. So so I I often when I teach this I use Frasier as the example of this. Then the okay. TV show Frasier. You if you're gonna make a foil for Frasier, Frasier is this intellectual guy, smartest guy in the room, very prideful, uh, kind of prissy, and you foil him with his father Martin, who's like a cop who likes to watch football, play with his dog, and eat, like, a rare steak, right? Right. right. That's that's normal foiling. Mm-hmm. Super foiling is Niles Crane to Frasier Crane, right. where suddenly Frasier's in the room and there's someone more Frasier than Frasier, <laughs> right? In that room, yeah. Niles is the prissy one. In that one, Niles is the prideful one, the pompous one, the arrogant one, all of... Like he is, he is Frasier to a factor of ten. The professor is the blue fairy to a factor of ten. The blue fairy grants your wish, but the professor grants it exactly the way that you want it. You get multiple attempts at it. He gives you everything. It is his his phrase. His song <laughs> is satisfaction guaranteed. Guaranteed. Yeah. Right. And yeah. there. It really points out how having a sort of benevolent spirit that will give you exactly what you want is not the benevolent spirit that you should have. We don't right. ask for the right things. And right. and her real foil is the ringmaster, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Who's the darker version of of it in a sort of in a sort of I'm going to corrupt you, but I'm not doing this for your benefit. I'm doing it because of it. It serves my hidden agenda. Right. So I I really appreciated it. Um. I I kind of I really would love to dig deep into the mythology of the supernatural realm in Geppetto. No one mm-hmm. will publish that paper from me, so it's not probably <laughs> a good use of my time. But I found the professor fascinating and he's a character i wouldn't mind seeing again in some oh yeah today yeah for sure the idea of a guy who makes made to order children well yeah and and you know geppetto was making i mean in a way he's kind of a foil for geppetto too because geppetto was making made for order toys right and in a way he thinks that that's the way life works that you want a child that you get a child and this is the child that you make right Yes. And and so he gets pro- that professor gives him exactly what he wants. If I was going to tweak this moment just a little bit, and it's just a little mm-hmm. bit, it's almost there. I would like to see exactly why Geppetto rejects this. It's mm-hmm. it's 
It's probably going on internally for Geppetto. Um, but I don't ever see it really register that these children that have been made perfectly, the ones who go like, Mom, may I skip dessert to go do my chores now? Um, why he doesn't want that. Oh. And like all the other parents in Idyllia seem happy with what they've been given. Right. Mm -hmm. I just mm -hmm. I would just like one tiny little button where we see what turns Geppetto off from this concept. Yeah. Why he yeah. walks away from it. Yeah, that would be good. That would make a lot of sense. Instead, he just runs away. Yeah. Uh, Laz Lazarno, I think I've saved um, the for second to last. Um, Wayne Brady, who I just absolutely love anyway. Um, I love how he's a magician who isn't a good magician. <laughs> and he gets Geppetto to admit that you don't have to be what your father wants you to be. Yes. Um, and Geppetto has this realization and we see him get to have this. Um, and he gets, uh, this is what happens when, you know, this is what happens when fathers make demands on their kids and don't consider their own talents and resources. Right. I expected to see him come back. In, I did in too. Some way. They spend too. a lot of time on him, and I thought maybe he would be part of the rescue at Pleasure Island, or maybe he would help them escape the whale, but no, mm -hmm. no, he does not come back. He's one and done, yep, yep. yep. Uh, the Pleasure Island ringmaster and usher, I mean, you mentioned the performance earlier, it's so good, um, but yeah, I mean, I stopped i mean everybody i'm not saying that the people who were singing are bad singers because they're not and they're certainly the songs are catchy and enjoyable but when usher starts singing it's like whoa okay <laughs> i mean it's not fair how do you compare anyone to usher <laughs> right. like like i'm not you know i'm not gonna go do like the warm up the crowd for usher i don't want that comparison Oh my I, goodness! Right, and that's, that's what's happening in this movie. You have warm up acts, uh, Usher, right? Yes. I mean, I, I think a, I, I found myself thinking a lot about Pleasure Island um, when I was watching this movie and thinking about how unfair it is that Pinocchio ends up there. Um, and yeah. I, you know, I know he runs away and he jumps on the um, stagecoach. But there's no, like, should I, shouldn't I from him? And maybe it's because it's not from his perspective. Well, in but this I, story, Gepe he, from his perspective, Geppetto has said he doesn't want him. Stromboli yeah. is a monster. There's yeah. a coach going out of town that yeah. says that where you go, you'll get whatever you want. I, yeah. it, it's not a conflict. If I was Pinocchio, I, okay. I would take it too. In the original movie, Pinocchio has already run a, like, supposed to have learned his lesson about listening to his father and his conscience. So when he goes to Pleasure Island again, it's just like, oh man, Pinocchio. Mm -hmm. Like like snag a clue. Right? Right. Right. But but right. here, because it's not his story, that we don't have to we don't have to see him struggle. Your mm -hmm. children will if you chase your children from you, they will run. And right. that's and that's what happens here. Yeah, for sure. Again, I will say my problem with the Pleasure Island Ringmaster is the same problem I have with the Coachman. I want them destroyed. I want them done. Yeah, They're still yeah. out in the world. And 
preying on children. I hate that. I hate that. Yeah. I mean, I'm not yeah. saying it's not realistic that that doesn't exist out there in the world, but but movie, give me that. Mm-hmm. Let me let me see the Pleasure Island ringmaster turned into a donkey. Please give mm-hmm. me that. Yeah. Well, pitch time. So given mm. Pinocchio and Geppetto, the stage musical that was based on this film, Geppetto, and of course the 2002 Pinocchio remake just released a few months ago uh, with Tom Hanks as Geppetto and Joseph Gordon-Levitt as Jiminy Cricket. What would we do with the story of Pinocchio? What would we do with this franchise? So if I'm going off of this musical specifically, mm-hmm. um, I'm going to, my pitch is going to be Stromboli and Son. Uh, so one mm. of the things that happens in this musical is Stromboli, when he doesn't have another scene partner in the scene, he has a puppet that's designed to look like him. And very much the way um, Clopin in Hunchback of Notre Dame has like arguments with Ooh, his little puppet, Stromboli right. does the same thing here. And I was wondering if at the end of this, as Stromboli's punishment for what he's done... He gets a puppet child of his own, um, but but like he he kind of shows affection more to that puppet that is him than he does to Pinocchio, who's real. I think there's something there. I think there may be a version of this in which the puppet becomes a person and Stromboli becomes the puppet in sort of a Twilight ah, Zone switch places kind yeah. of way. Yeah. But but I feel like that dynamic could be explored a little bit more. Andy, what have you got? Well, I like I mentioned, I like the idea of uh, I've I've been really thinking about Pleasure Island a lot, and I and I like the idea of Pinocchio having more adventures. I I'm really stuck on stories of other children attracted to this place that's Pleasure Island, right? Yeah. Um, and and I think what if Pinocchio, like. Tells his dad, like, there's this place I need to tell you about. It's really terrible. It's Pleasure Island. And, you know, people are getting, uh, you know, recruited there. And they think that all these awful things are happening or good things are happening to them. But they actually only turn into donkeys. Like, what if he battles the powers that be at Pleasure Island in order to free the others? And then he's trapped there once again, right? Himself. And what if he has to make friends with some of the kids and sort of recruit them to overthrow Pleasure Island? Uh, what if Stromboli uh, winds up in Pleasure Island himself and Pinocchio has to wrestle with, well, do I rescue him or not? I'm not sure I have a clear pitch today, but I... No, no, I like it because... I mean, these are all like questions that have been swirling around for me when it comes to that space. Well, I, I, it implies that this first chapter, what the Blue Fairy is doing is creating a hero for a future story. Yeah. That this brush, that this brush with these forces of darkness is the mm-hmm. origin of a sort of Pinocchio superhero story. It's 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 setting up the future mythology here. And, and I love and, Pinocchio as an unlikely hero. I mean, he's he is a he was a puppet. He was controlled. Then he was his own person. He learned not to lie. Um, he learned some lessons and now he's, he's got to go back to the place of darkness and, and rescue others. I mean, I think that's kind of awesome. It makes, it makes sense to me. I want to throw out to you, Andy, something very interesting about this movie. We didn't discuss Mm -hmm. no Jiminy Cricket. Well, I, I, I saw that and I thought about it and I wondered why, 
Um, I think it may have been too much. I don't think it needs him. I think I no, think because that's exactly Jiminy it. Jiminy is Pinocchio's guy. Yes, you know Geppetto didn't really have much interaction with him. Well, so the thing about Jiminy is in the original movie, Jiminy sort of functions as as the father figure when Geppetto's not around, and yeah. Pinocchio's conscience when Pinocchio's making bad decisions. Right. But since we're spending a lot of time with Geppetto. We don't need to see G- if Jiminy is with Pinocchio. You you might be like, well, hey, Pinocchio has a father. It's this cricket, exactly, right? right. Um, I I'm glad he's not in this. This movie doesn't need him. Doesn't need him. Hmm. Yeah, agree. Well, that was a lot of fun, and it thank was. you for bringing it up because I would never have watched this movie if you had not said we should check this out. Well, uh, I, I'm, I'm going to be honest. I, I thought we were going to be a lot more snarky about this this movie, but but it won me over. I'm glad we had open hearts to embrace what this was. I'm glad yeah. I watched this. Yes. Yeah, me too. I want to watch it again. All right. Uh, what movie are we tackling next week? We're going into Pixar land next week, Andy, Yay. with A Bug's Life. Oh, I'm so excited about that. Yeah. Be, always fun so to go to Pixar fun. land. Always, always. So, well, friends, if you like what you're hearing, will you do us a favor and share this podcast with another Disney or classic movie fan? And if you leave us a review, we would be so pleased. Uh, And check us out on our Once Upon a Disney Facebook page. Uh, Tweet us at at Andy Redwine or at Larry Brenner 6 or drop us a line in our mailbag at Once Upon a Disney Podcast at gmail.com. So until next time, friends, see you real soon. See you real soon. 